listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast with me, Jade Elliott, where we talk all things pregnancy, children, and parenting. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV2 news podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health. You're listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast with myself, Jade Elliott, joined today by Dr. Helen Feltovich with Intermountain Healthcare. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. All right, we're talking about having babies today, and there's, of course, a few different ways you can do it. Um, C-section, you know, cesarean delivery, vaginal birth, um, and kind of breaking down maybe which might be right for you if you have the opportunity to make that decision, you know, with your provider, um, because sometimes you might not. So let's kind of just talk about the differences for our listeners that might not know, and then, you know, maybe some pros and cons or where one might be recommended over another and, and kind of go from there. So let's start with vaginal delivery. I think for most, that would be the route that you would want to take if you'd be able to. You're exactly right. And in fact, there is a huge push among us doctors who are obstetricians or providers of obstetric care for vaginal delivery. You know, we we believe that vaginal delivery is the easiest way. It's the way that women have been having babies for millennia, <laughs> the traditional way. So that really should always be the goal. There are some times when either because of maternal health conditions or fetal health conditions that vaginal delivery is not safe. We can talk about a few of those incidences if you want in a minute. And, and also, you know, patients, patients have a choice and there are some patients who really very, very much prefer to have a cesarean delivery. And so, of course, it's your body, your baby, and that discussion is always something that providers are willing to have with their patients. However, vaginal delivery does tend to be the simplest. The recovery tends to be a little quicker from it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you may have that plan with your doctor to go in for a vaginal birth and things might change and you might have to go into a cesarean delivery. That, that is exactly right. That brings up a really important point. One thing that I always tell my patients is to remain flexible because there's nothing that's more dynamic than childbirth because you have three systems. You have the maternal system, you have the fetal system, and you have the placenta. And they're all constantly interacting and all very dynamic, all three of those systems. So the best way to approach a delivery is with flexibility and tolerance for what might come up because sometimes what happens is um, that the fetus doesn't tolerate labor well and many times we don't find out until say after the cesarean delivery why it happened sometimes fetuses can get a cord tied around their arm or their leg or their neck, and that makes labor too stressful for them. Other times, perhaps the placenta has a small 
tearing at a small abruption or some other kind of problem that makes it not fully functional. In those cases, when stress happens, and labor is very stressful, um, when stress happens, the placenta can't tolerate that very well, and then, of course, that's the fetus's lifeline. And in other instances, you know, rarely a mother's pelvis might not be the right shape or size to let a particular fetus pass. Sometimes there's something called cephalopelvic disproportion. Cephalo means head, meaning the fetus's head. Pelvic means pelvis, and disproportion means that basically the, the fetus's size of the head or shape of the head or angle of the head as it's going into the birth, con the birth canal doesn't work with that particular mother's pelvis. Those are all reasons that a fetus might tolerate labor very well, and it might be much safer to take the baby out with a cesarean section. Yeah, and that would be, I mean, what you would consider an unplanned C-section. Right. Everyone kept asking me, you know, what's your birth plan? What's your birth plan? And I just kept telling them to have a baby. That's my birth plan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sometimes I say, you know what? At the end of the day, if you walk out of the hospital with a baby in your arms, that's a win. No yeah. matter what, what place that baby came out of. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, there's this misconception out there that um, providers, especially obstetricians, prefer cesarean deliveries. And that's always puzzled me. I, I don't know where that comes from because the truth is that providers prefer whatever is best for the patient. And that's why we have to remain flexible too. Sometimes we have a set idea about how a delivery is going to happen and we get attached to that also. And um, so we as providers have to also remain flexible to what's going on in the particular situation at that moment, just to keep everybody safe and happy. Childbirth is one of the most memorable and important experiences in a person's life. And the goal is to make it as beautiful and as safe as possible. And so, having some flexibility around how exactly a fetus is going to come out is a really, really good idea. And so, you know, as you mentioned, we talked about some of those maybe reasons for an unplanned C-section. We went in with the thought of having a vaginal birth, things changed. What would be some of the reasons that, you know, mom and provider would decide on or plan on having a C-section as the delivery method? That's a great question. So let's say somebody's already had one or two C-sections. Those patients would be candidates for what we call TOLAC or trial of labor after cesarean. And um, that leads to VBAC if the vaginal delivery is successful and that's called vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, but there's always a choice. Some women, after they've had a cesarean section, say, wow, that was so easy and quick, and I chose my time, and I got to plan it. And so some patients really prefer that. Um, another reason that, so, so that's a choice if someone's had one or two cesarean deliveries. 
um, once you've had three or more, it's, it's not safe to labor that uterus. It's not safe to have that uterus contracting very rigorously back and forth because the chance that the scar where the um, previous C-section or C-sections happened could open is too high. But one or two, it's fine. It's generally safe. Um, another reason to have a C-section is just patient preference. Some women are just very, very afraid of undergoing vaginal delivery for whatever reason. And if that's the case, you know, it's our job as providers to talk about that and remain open to it. Um, and there are so many different reasons that someone could prefer a C-section. I can't even list them here. Another reason is sometimes a patient has had a surgery. So for instance, there are patients who have had bowel surgery or surgery on their rectum before, and that might not be safe to try a vaginal delivery because there's scarring present and, and perhaps weaker tissue and the tearing and damage might be too much. Another reason that we might think about um, doing what we call an elective primary C-section. So what I was talking about a minute ago was about the choice of having another C-section if you've had one or two. That's called an elective repeat C-section. Reasons for an elective primary C-section besides say there's some surgery and the patient's general surgeon doesn't think it would be a good idea to stress those tissues near the pelvis. Another reason could be um, fetal macrosomia. So fetuses that are more than about five kilograms or in, in a patient who's not diabetic or four to four and a half kilograms in a patient who is diabetic, those fetuses, um, we know from lots and lots of data from all over the world that those fetuses have such a high risk of having complications during labor where they get stuck basically. It's called shoulder dystocia or um, they have um, stage two arrest of labor which is where they get stuck and for hours and they just won't come out of the vagina or stage one arrest of labor which is where for hours and hours and hours, the uterus is contracting effectively and the patient just doesn't dilate. We know that fetuses that are large have an increased risk of that happening. So when fetuses are large, um, oftentimes we'll have a conversation with the patient about trying labor, what are the thresholds for moving to a cesarean section. They tend to be a, a bit lower than um, on totally unplanned C-sections, or we might just plan a primary elective cesarean delivery just based on other reasons that we're worried about the fetus. For instance, there's a condition called craniosynostosis where the fetal scalp bones fuse in the uterus a little bit early. Usually that doesn't happen until after delivery, but that would be a reason that the fetal head can't flex to get through the vagina. So, so there are some rare conditions with fetal head shape and size and overall fetal size that would make us think about having an elective primary C-section in addition to the maternal reasons that I mentioned a minute ago. Mm -hmm, exactly. Well, and then talking about recovery and post-care, those, you know, along some lines are similar, but in a lot 
uh, are very different in regards to a cesarean and a vaginal birth. Talk to us a little bit about uh, some of the recovery, uh, the postpartum, and uh, you know, maybe some of the do's and don'ts uh, for afterbirth care. So, you know, what's interesting about that is a cesarean section, of course, is major abdominal surgery. And so everybody thinks that the recovery is so much harder from that. But what's fascinating is um, patients who have been through, let's say, a long, prolonged labor, maybe a patient that had an unplanned cesarean delivery, right? So they experience a labor complication that after many, many hours of labor meant that they had to have a cesarean section. Um, and then the next delivery, they choose to have a repeat cesarean section. It's interesting to hear those patients talk about that because the recovery from um, postpartum recovery seems to have a lot to do with just labor and that exhaustion and then your body afterwards having all these hormonal shifts and starting to make milk and all that and then having this little newborn that makes a lot of noise all day and all night and requires so much attention. And so I think that sometimes people get very afraid of cesarean recovery because all of that just normal postpartum stuff gets lumped into the difficulty of recovery and it gets sort of assigned to cesarean section, when in fact, vaginal delivery is associated with many of the same fatigue, hormonal, just sort of overload, all of that. And, and also, you know, the vagina has to heal from a vaginal delivery, especially with the first delivery, it's really, really unusual not to get some kind of tear and have some kind of stitches and that kind of thing. So whichever route of delivery a patient undergoes, it's just really always important to remember to take good care of yourself, to make sure that you keep your incision clean, whether that's in your vagina or on your abdomen, to make sure that you are keeping your breasts clean, especially if you're nursing and healthy and um and making sure that you get enough rest you know using people around you anybody who wants to help hold the baby for a time so that you can just have a 30 minute even nap or something these things are critical because you know it it doesn't matter which route your fetus comes out your your baby comes out there's just this real fatigue and hormonal overload that occurs that requires real self-care and self-love and asking for help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I mean, regardless of the route of delivery, you're still bringing home a baby and all the things change regardless of if it's your first or your fifth. It's, you know, still that new baby coming home. Um, and, you know, I like what you say about you know, we all have to be flexible from, you know, a patient standpoint and trying to decide what that birth plan may or may not look like. And then from, you know, a doctor's standpoint of what that birth plan may or may not look like. Uh, but I know that Intermountain is also doing a lot, you know, working to reduce unnecessary C-sections, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of what that plan might look like. You know, I know that you guys are doing that too. Yes, 
Absolutely, and that is a, um, that's actually a national imperative that started several years ago coming down from the National Institutes of Health. So providers these days more than ever are focused on, I mean, the, the, goal, the goal is always vaginal delivery. And not that cesarean sections aren't um, normal or okay, or cesarean sections don't represent some sort of failure on the part of the patient or, or anything like that. It's still a beautiful way to deliver. Um, really, the focus is on vaginal delivery. Yeah. It, well, because it, it kind of from what you were saying too, it's just the more natural way for the body to go through the process of, of growing, growing the human and then, you know, delivering the baby. Exactly. It's just kind of how, it's kind of how the female body is designed. And when we, um, when we get out of its way and let it do its thing, it usually figures it out just fine. Yeah. That's, that's part of the flexibility. You know, I remember before I, you know, 30 years ago, before I ever had babies or was even delivering anybody's babies, I had a friend who um, was pregnant with her second baby. And she told me, this is when I was in medical school, she told me, you know, with my first baby, I had a laminated birth plan and all the things I wanted and didn't want, and it was colored and highlighted and all of this. And she said, now with this baby, I just hope I get through it without killing anybody. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Without spoiling somebody. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's so important to remember. You know, like I said, people would ask me and I just say, I just, I just want to have a baby. I want to have a healthy baby. And however it shows up, it shows up. Um, and like you said, you know, when you walk out of the hospital, both of you happy, healthy, you know, on your way home, uh, that's the win. That's the win. That's right. You're you're very progressive. <laughs> Thanks. If, if you felt that way with your first baby, that you just wanted, you know, to to um, have a healthy baby at the end. That's that's very very progressive. Even I, and I was delivering babies by the time I had my own. I was not that flexible. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks. I just, yeah, oh, I'm sure. I, you know, for me, it was more about expectations. I didn't want to set expectations for something that might not be able to come to fruition. I didn't want to go in with an expectation saying, no, I have to deliver this baby vaginally. I have to have an epidural. I have to have X, Y, and Z and all the ice chips sitting next to me because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't, you don't know if, your water is going to break and you're going to go. You don't know if you're going to start contracting and something's going to happen. I, you just don't know. There's so many variables that I thought I'm not going to set these expectations for what I think this perfect birth plan should look like and then have it not happen and be disappointed for some reason. Right. Right. And, and, you know, importantly that, um, that, that advice, um, see, you don't need me. You, 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 down. you don't need a high-risk obstetrician talking to you about this because that is exactly the right attitude. Um, but importantly, that extends to the entire birth process, right? Not just mode of delivery, but also epidural, for yeah. instance. You know, I've seen I've seen people not give themselves permission to have an ep epidural and 
it's really made their experience not as pleasant as it could be. And I've also seen the opposite. I've seen people who are so committed to an epidural that they aren't even noticing how their body is just carrying them along and they're doing just fine. So right. what you just said about setting expectations is exactly right. And if the expectation is just at the end of the day, healthy mom, healthy baby, walk out of the hospital, any anything that happens in between walking in and walking out is all good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Dr. Feltovich, thank you so much for being with us and walking us through uh, you know, of course, some of the differences between, you know, a C-section, a vaginal birth, and of course, just that reminder that, you know, everyone does have to be flexible. There is a time and a place for both, um, and sometimes that's not always the plan, but having that flexibility um, and the importance, of course, always of just talking to your provider and trying to figure out what does work and, and what will work as you continue to go through your pregnancy and get closer to uh, your delivery date. So thank you so much. You're, you're so welcome. And make sure, you know, just to follow on what you just said, um, making sure that you're heard by your provider is important. And if you aren't, find somebody that you can talk better with, because at the end of the day, this is your experience as the patient. So thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Always appreciate talking with you. And that concludes this episode of the Baby Your Baby podcast, talking about uh, different delivery methods, uh, cesarean delivery and vaginal births. Thanks for joining me, Jade Elliott, and our guest for this week's Baby Your Baby podcast. If you have a topic that you'd like our Baby Your Baby experts to discuss, leave us a comment and don't forget to subscribe. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV2 news podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health.